Hello and welcome to The Insurgents, episode 18. I'm Rob Rousseau. Hey Rob, what's up man? That's Jordan Yule here, and we've also, we're here today, we know this might be triggering or upsetting to some people that listen to the show, but we also are here with Ken Klippenstein. How's it going, Ken? Hey, I'm doing all right, all things considered. Yeah. Okay, that's unfortunate to hear. It's a bit crazy out there. <laughs> yeah, it is unfortunate. There's a lot of import- unfortunate stuff going on right now, and I think this is why we it was important that we were all kind of convening today here at Insurgents HQ. We are, of course, maintaining social distancing, uh, but we're here uh, in the uh, the conference room. Um, some of our interns have set out a pretty pretty decent spread here, which I'm I'm I gotta say I'm impressed with. I think they've taken some of the criticism to heart. We did a few firings as well, and we kind of had to, you know, instill a certain sense of, you know, authority and just to make make everyone clear, like, what the, what the situation was. I'm seeing some noticeable improvements on that front. Yeah, well, I mean, the people complain, like, hey, the timing's not right, not right to really be firing people. And it's like, okay, also, I need to eat, and I'm, like, tired. Like I said last time, I was tired of having cold cuts, so. Yeah, how else know, are we, we supposed to get this across? I mean, if we I'm don't. just splitting the difference here. You, like, you've never run, a, like, a business yeah, and it is an essential service, too, as we've been pointing out. But I think this gets to the heart of what, what we wanted to talk about here. Uh, because, as as everyone knows, there is a lot of the country that is shut down right now. And I think what we were hoping to do is just come together today and send a message to President Trump. And that is this. President Trump, sir, it is time to open the country back up. It's enough of this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I need to go to Chili's. I need my lawn yep. fertilizer. I need to go out and buy my products. It's a, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I, I understand tens of thousands of people are dying. I get it. I understand that. But I, I think, you know, we don't want, as, as many have pointed out, we don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. Open up this, open up the strip malls, sir. I need to get back to purchasing my, my products there. Yep. I was just, uh, just, I just finished a, um, a Facebook post in all caps that said, uh, first, yes. I care about God. Second, I care about the Bill of Rights. And third, I care about my God-given ability to go to BW3s every Thursday night with my bros. So if you want to get in the way of that, prepare to meet my AR-15. In a picture. In, a, in like a picture that you might send to In a, in a to video game yeah. that I own. To be clear. Yeah. What about you, Ken? Are you, how, how are you... Yeah. What, what's your what's your message to President Trump about opening the, up the country again? If you close down Dave and Buster's, the terrorists win. <laughs> it's that simple. Yes, thank you, thank you for that. No, because it's it's frustrating because I know obviously like everyone, um, I, I think it's important to make sure everyone understands that this is every, everything that bad that's happened in the United States over the last couple of weeks with respect to this coronavirus, one hundred percent China's fault. Uh, the president, uh, not 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 his fault. Did everything he could do. He tried to, you know, he tried to do what he could do. We can have qualms about, you know, maybe this should have happened or this should have happened. Obviously, everything is China's fault, and they need to pay for the fact that that so many people have suffered, that many many people are dying. But also at the same time, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a couple thousand people. Who cares? Let's just get this going here. I've got to get my my blooming onions, my snacks. Mm-hmm. I got to get my my yep. camping equipment. And lawn care stuff. 
you glossed right over an important uh, grievance here, which is that they let us offshore all of our uh, manufacturing that would give us the personal protective equipment that we need. Yes. Uh, and so I don't understand why they didn't just tell us, no, don't do that. Leave that in your own country. Uh, stop exporting all your jobs here voluntarily. But they didn't, they didn't stop us. And I, I don't think we should forget that. Yeah, I don't think we should forget that. <laughs> well, I, I think, um, you know, there, there, there was a conversation and a clip that went viral um, uh, of Dr. Oz, who I consider to be a uh, world-renowned <laughs> medical expert. Uh, he yes. was on Sean Hannity, which is where you get the real news. And he was saying, like, look, we need to reopen the country, and a good place to start would be the schools. So send kids back to school. And yeah, yeah sure, he pointed out, like, yeah, there's a study that said only 2 to 3% would die. But, you know, that's that's 90 Seven ninety-eight percent of people that don't die. So, like, those are trade-offs. Those are pretty good numbers. I'm willing to make. So, you know, I can go back to the movies and go uh, to uh, Applebee's with my friends and get ap- uh, appetizers and 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 big Bud Lights. So, you know, that's just how America operates. Sorry. Unfortunately, they're not teaching basic economics because if they did, they'd understand there's a opportunity cost to everything. Um, mm-hmm. So, for the you know opportunity of letting uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, I guess it is, people live. Um, the cost then is, you know, all of these cultural hallmarks that um, we, uh, you know, mark the passage of time and um, draw significance from. So basic economics. Yeah, you see the point where that line meets that line? That Under that is where I can no longer get delicious cheesy bread and unlimited soup and, and salad. And that's just not something I'm ready to accept. Okay, guys, so um, we're back. We're back, as I mentioned earlier. It's the, Insur- the Insurgents, episode 18. Uh, I'm happy to be back. Uh, do not feel very good right now. It's been a bad week. Um, we t- I mean, we talked at the beginning of the last episode how Bernie had suspended his campaign. And since then, he's gone full in with the Biden endorsement. It's really just like the, the absolute darkest timeline that could have possibly happened in this Democratic primary. And... Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm I'm reeling a little bit. I, this is I, this has been a complete reorientation of, of everything that I kind of expected and was hoping for. Uh, I really, after Trump was elected originally, I really did think, okay, it's Bernie 2020. He's going to break through this time. It's going to happen. And I really went on believing that for that entire four years, and really just up until the last couple of weeks. So I'm I'm reeling a little bit as as everything that I believed was and was kind of praying for and hoping for just completely fell apart. Um, so it feels pretty shitty. How, how are you guys doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned a little bit on the last episode. I tried to keep myself grounded. And maybe it's just because I'm just super cynical. Um, there was a, a large part of me that, despite even, like, fully believing in his campaign, never really thinking it was a reality. And I remember, like, not, I don't know, never really feeling like 100% like it was going to happen. I always had a really serious thing, like, sense of doubt and an expectation that it wouldn't work out and even though it didn't i still find myself being very sad um because of the consequences <laughs> it, turns out right? it didn't blunt it didn't blunt, <laughs> it didn't blunt the that. pain man <laughs> no way because i mean the consequences now a starting point for the healthcare debate is 10 million people uninsured that is their best case scenario and just the way the legislative process works is you're not going to get that utopian scenario so 
that means at more than 10 million people are going to remain uninsured if Biden even wins, which I'm not confident is going to happen. So really, really scared to think about what the world is going to look like as we're now like fully in the throes of a of a global pandemic and a health crisis. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, thousands of people or millions of people might die throughout this entire ordeal. And it's just like no one is really uh, in any hurry to ensure everyone in this country, which we see in every other country, is protecting people from bankruptcy. Like no one, it's no one's fault right now that you're going bankrupt. This is completely out of your control, and it should be the it should be that case for every medical condition. So it's just it's just really frustrating to think about. How about you, Ken? How are you? How are you hanging in there right now? I was surprised that uh, Biden came in what, like fourth and fifth in the first couple states, and that um, yeah, we thought he, we were making fun of. Him. We thought he was done. I think everyone did, including you know people in his campaign, some of whom I was talking to. Um, but I guess uh, I underestimated the extent to which a media blitz at the last second, um, and really you know the extent to which the Democratic primary uh, base make, makes decisions at the very last. I mean, if you look at it, so many voters decided in the last twenty four or forty eight hours. Um, so that uh, media buzz that he was able to generate from South Carolina, I think, ended up um, kind of dragging him across the finish line. Well, it's pretty it's pretty depressing stuff. Uh, but we did have a good conversation in this episode with uh, Vanessa A.B. from from Current Affairs um, that I thought was pretty illuminating. I also did feel good. Uh, I felt a little bit better speaking to Megan and Micah in the last episode, which I really enjoyed. So it it has honestly been psychologically helpful for me to continue to do this and to break it down with you guys and, and our guests and everything like that. That has been like a kind of psychological balm to this like really, really depressing reversal of kind of everything that I was imagining and hoping for. Yeah, that was good. Um, she's great conversation. I'm really happy we got to talk to her. Um, hope she comes on again because that was... That was interesting. It was, you know, it, it, despite how gloomy everything is, it was fun and upbeat conversation. I think she has a good perspective, and, and, and I think it's important that people heed her advice to see this as a long-term strategy. Um, so, yeah, really enjoyed it, and thankful she came on. Ken was not invited to the conversation, unfortunately. Well, no, I mean, and also because he was late for this, he's, his, yeah. band, his band has now tripled. It's a triple so, pen now, Triple lifetime ban. Sorry, dude. Yeah. Every appearance is just taking uh, months off of my life. <laughs> <laughs> when we finally get out of quarantine, like we're going to meet up and Ken's hair is going to be like, completely gray. He's going to have yeah. like, not a single black hair left. Just like Biden plugs. <laughs> He's going to have that and like platinum teeth for some reason. He's going to have like the veneers. Like, how'd you Listen, Matt, I'm coming on the show. I'm gonna. I'm the new host. It's going to be like Jonah Hill's character in what, Wolf of Wall Street with the train. With the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, but but you do have something you do want to talk about. Oh, um, and that is the your latest scoop. What is it? So, uh, if you can believe it, amid this crisis, um, Trump has used that as a, um, or at least the administration has used it as a pretext to militarize the Canadian border, um, where all of those shifty cool. and shady fellows, um, you know, company excluded. Uh, are uh, sitting wow. there with corona and posing a threat to the United States, which, by the way, has a much higher yeah. rate of corona and incidence of corona than uh, either the north or southern border. Uh, but I, I'm not going to speak for the Canadians. I'll let the Canadian here speak for them. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, we mentioned this the last time we this came up, 
And it's like, first of all, I'm not sure that there's this huge, uh, you know, lineup of people clamoring to get into the U.S. right now. Uh, so not totally sure what that's all about. But, you know, like, what's the actual reasoning for, for what they're doing there? Is it really just to police the border and people getting across? Is it trying to keep people in America, in the, in the country? Like, what what actually is the reasoning behind what they're doing here? Well, all I can tell you is the memo that um, requested this military support at the border and what it says. And what it uh, said, it actually specifically cites coronavirus, which, again, makes absolutely no sense, given that um, if you're trying to escape corona, you're going north of the border, away from the United States, which is, uh, you know, very high concentration of it. You're going towards the area that has health care, <laughs> um, that has, you know, a state, a state health care plan. Um, but what the what the document describes is uh, setting aside millions and millions of dollars for um, you know not just military support for um, border patrol, but also surveillance equipment. Um, and so I'm not sure how the surveillance relates to um, the, what it claims to be uh, protecting the country from COVID-19. Uh, maybe they would say it's bio surveillance. There's um, such a thing as you know surveilling people for uh, illness and things like that. But uh, whatever the case might be, that is. That is what it is, uh, you know, millions of dollars worth of surveillance and, and military equipment. Jeez. So um, we're keeping Rob out. We're securing the border. Um, what seems to be the problem here? Well, I mean, I, I can be honest with this. I've talked about this behind the scenes with you guys, but uh, I think it is that is an aspect of it. Obviously, the deep state is familiar with, with me and my work, and I think... I mean, number one, what do, what do they want? They want us to stop doing this content, this very subversive content <laughs> right now. This is, and this is kind of my day job. But what they really are trying to stop me from doing is going back to my real job of using this crisis to um, install 5G mind control towers in everyone's communities. That's what I'm kind of trying to accomplish right now. <laughs> the, well, let's get on the, the list here. The deep state is encouraging. Is, 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 they're trying to foil me. Well, let's go to the list here. So you're promise you're promise thirteen, and you're wondering why we won't leave yes. this country. You are you're an insurgent. You're self described insurgent. Um, you are yes. You're against. You're somehow against both um, uh, uh, Trudeau and the right wing government. So yes. I mean that seems That's like correct. a lot of red flags to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of either the government in this country or the United States. Really, either any party that that is is in control. I'm generally opposed to that. Yeah. I see how it is. We don't let you in and suddenly you're against us. It's this interesting. <laughs> right. How are you supposed to hate oh from that side of the border? How are you going to hate from when you're not even in the United States? Well, he hates America. He just wants to bring death yeah. to America. He <laughs> My hate has multitudes, Ken. You'd be surprised. <laughs> He's got that same setup like uh, Charlie Daniels, who just has like, an automatic tweet every day where it's like, Benghazi ain't going away. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, de- death to America. <laughs> America, <laughs> caca. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, Ken, we know you have right. a hard stop at eight for your... For your uh, Whatever, something that's definitely not as important as what we're doing. But <laughs> yeah, kind of bullshit, really. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to? Anything else you want to plug? Um, no, no. I guess uh, just that insane sort of update. Um, I'm sure. The, I think the administration could try to visit it, revisit it. Um, the Canadians flipped out, obviously. I actually had several. I had several diplomats reach out to me. They already thought it was insane. But um, the way the media has reported it is, they're like, "Oh, we're not going to do it anymore." But if you read the document closely, um, it, it it shows the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, denying the request but saying if you change it you know we may be able to revisit it so i don't think the door is closed on this well we're gonna keep we'll keep following the story and i encourage everyone to uh, follow ken's work at the nation i'm sure you're gonna have more scoops on this in the coming weeks and months 
Thanks for thanks for joining us today, Ken. Before we get to our interview with Vanessa, I just want to remind everyone, if you enjoy the show, if you can count yourself as a fan of the Insurgents podcast, please subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Uh, if you're able to right now make a monthly contribution to help keep the show on the air, it's very, very helpful. That's where you do it at Substack. You can uh, you can subscribe at $5 per month or $55 annually, which is a little, a little bit of a discount there. Uh, you mm-hmm. get into our Discord server, which is very fun and cool. Uh, there is a no-Ken zone within the, the Discord where Ken is not allowed to be there, so it's a mm-hmm. safe space free from his, uh, his influence. Uh, his we can promise that. Yeah, and you're going to have access to future bonus content, uh, a bunch of good stuff um, in the works that I think everyone's going to enjoy. That's where you do it, um, theinsurgents.substack.com. Jordan, do we have any other any other plugs? Yeah, you can leave us a voicemail at 202-570-4639. Uh, they're still coming in. We have just not worked them into the episodes yet because of the, you know, the tone uh, of the episodes. But looking like the next episode or two, we'll start going through those. But yeah, please keep leaving us voicemails. They're hilarious. We get a, a huge kick out of them. We really appreciate it. Please it's, keep re- reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts as well. It's super helpful. We love reading the reviews. They've 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 tapered down a little bit over the last couple of weeks. So if you've never left a review <laughs> for the Insurgents over at Apple Podcasts, uh, we always love reading those. Uh, they're very they're very funny often, and uh, mm-hmm. it's also really helpful. So that's another thing you can do. They're um, funny if they don't mention Ken. Yeah. Yeah, ideally you don't want to you don't want to do that. No, don't want to talk about Ken in the, in the review, please. Um, but I think that's about everything, uh, folks. So let's get to the interview with Vanessa A. B. from uh, Current Affairs. You're really going to enjoy it. She's going to be joining the show right after this. joined by uh, Vanessa B. Uh, she's an editor at Current Affairs. She's a writer. We're happy to have you on the program today, Vanessa. How is it going? All things considered, you're in the we're in plague world, but aside from all that, how is it going right now? It's going all right. I'm in good health. <laughs> I have a day job that let me... <laughs> I feel like I'm like in a 1900 novel. Um, I have a job that lets me work from home, so I have nothing to complain about. How are you both? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, Rod, Rob's, Rob's, uh, I think, got it a little bit more hectic. Not got, having children really yeah. helps. Count my blessings there. <laughs> got a cat, which I guess, you know, kind of the same, thing. The same yeah. amount of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, oddly enough, and I've talked about this elsewhere, like, I will say that, um, having kids especially right now in general but especially right now um is like yeah it's a sort of an added level of responsibility and stress and yeah i don't have there's like i don't have a ton of time because my partner's working from home and there's no school or daycare so i've kind of got to do that during the day but also in terms of like not letting existential dread creep in it is kind of good because you can kind of just focus on the the day-to-day or hour by hour job of doing that and uh, you kind of have to, you kind of have to stay positive and not just get too mired in like, oh no, everything's so terrible all the time. You know, that's kind of nice. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Are you doing, um, are you doing classes or, or like, 
have have has your kid been sent home with help or what are you supposed to <laughs> well, do just well he's he's four math. right so he's just he's in uh-huh. daycare and so he's kind of in an in-between stage like they do they have started like sending us a few things little projects we can do and stuff but there's not there's not really a specific organized thing um yet that i really have to rely on i'm mostly just like kind of flying by the seat of my pants we mostly just like play action figures for four or five hours a day generally that's my that's been my essential homeschooling curriculum so far <laughs> living the dream i mean you could just get a job right how old he's four that's that's working age. <laughs> yeah, kind of, i'm sure amazon's hiring i don't know work man <laughs> some basic yeah, right. data entry yeah yeah we got to reopen the economy dude yeah seriously He's got to start pulling his weight around here because it's getting a little a bit of a freeloader, unfortunately. <laughs> so, I mean, let's not, I mean, we could talk about this kind of stuff all day. Obviously, everyone's got their own weird personal stuff going on at the moment as we're all kind of a, a quarantining in our separate locations. But I mean, talking about turning turning to like the news cycle and the, the election and the sort of ongoing drama with that. What I want to ask you to is. How good are we feeling now? Because I know a few, a couple days ago, even maybe a week or so ago, was feeling a little bleak. Everyone was kind of hurt, upset, and now we see Barack Obama has come in there, and everyone's unifying, and Bernie's endorsed Biden and Warren. Uh, the Avengers are assembling. Everyone's getting together. I'm, I'm hyped. I'm ready to to really support this. Uh, whatever's going about to happen now. And I don't, how do you guys feel about it? I'll give Vanessa the first credit. I'm uh, sure she's, you know, just over the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I feel um I feel checked out. It which is sort of nice. Like I sort of don't yeah. really give a shit about election news anymore. It's sort of like kasara sara. Um It's your problem I, now. Yeah. Libs. <laughs> yeah, I like don't feel that invested. I mean, I it'd be nice for them to win and I'd like for them to win. Um, but I don't feel like they're working very hard to get new voters i feel like they're sort of counting on um you know their base showing up and like banking that that's enough yeah and flipping those those famous moderate republicans in the suburbs you know it's the same it's the same strategy as it's been for 30 years or whatever yeah we're just like on the loop so (laughs) i guess honestly i'm chilling i saw people get really upset about or getting a little upset i don't want to overstate it by bernie in particular getting in line uh but he always said he was going to do that yeah i you know he's uh it shouldn't be surprising uh, yeah it shouldn't be that surprising he's a a senator he has to work with these guys like he has to represent his district he's just doing what he's got to do um i don't know so i don't feel as down as i could and i feel like the coronavirus has kind of helped like it's been such a distraction that you know things were already going so poorly generally that like joe biden getting the nomination is one more turd but it's not (laughs) (laughs) it's you know it's just yeah um so i i feel like i had time to kind of emotionally prepare for the for the letdown of of all this well, yeah, that's kind of the odd thing, right? Is that people are saying, well, like, what? It, it kind of a whole debate about Bernie's campaign and why he went so, why he didn't go hard enough for Joe Biden, which is kind of a, a contentious point right now with a lot of people. And people say, like, well, why is he always saying Joe Biden's my friend and Joe Biden can is can win the election and why is he saying stuff? And like the simple answer is he is Joe Biden's friend and he likes him, and he like that's that's really as simple as it can be broken down. And that's if you're looking for reasons why. 
I think Bernie was reluctant to really go after him and really and and really kind of drag this process further along. I think that's probably the number one reason why. Yeah, it also would have made this part of the primary, like the part where there isn't a presumptive nominee and you have to get behind them because there's literally no other option. I think that would have made that really awkward if Bernie had been sort of interpersonally as vicious as, for instance, Warren was towards him, right? Like we saw her like not shake Bernie's hand on stage. So then it was weird when like a few weeks later, she'd be like, my friend Bernie, (laughs) we'd be like, uh, (laughs) that doesn't feel real. And also like what other parts of you are not real. You know what I mean? So I don't know, in a way, I guess there's something very um, earnest about Bernie. However frustrating it is to those of us on the outside who wish he was more cutthroat, but that's just not the person. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I can actually say that because Bernie can be cutthroat when he wants to be, just not with Joe Biden, which goes back to your point you know, that they are legitimately friends. And that was a rallying point, I think, and something that we often pointed to, uh, to really highlight Bernie's integrity in the primary. If you remember that moment in the debate where they were like, um, you know, who's going to support the nominee and who's going to, um, who who supports the person with the most votes going into the, um, going into the convention. And, you know, Sanders was, you know, fully on board with both. And you could argue, and I think, pretty strongly that not supporting the person if it was a like a, a brokered convention not supporting the person with the most votes would have been um more contentious but i think sanders even though maybe at the point he felt like he was only saying that because he um thought that was going to be him but i think just across the board time and time again he showed that he is just a team player he's he's in it because he wants uh to get trump out um and you know he does he 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 if it if he has to get behind Biden and that's not his ideal person, that's fine because it's all about the greater good. Um, people projecting their uh, anti-electoralism or um, Marxist worldview onto him, I think, is inaccurate. And the backlash and the knee-jerk reaction is kind of ridiculous because he was never that person. Um, a lot of people acted like he was kind of a compromise. You know, they didn't like electoralism, but they wanted to get into it just because of him. Um, and now seeing him do this was you know, just, just like they're, they're they're abandoning him and saying, well, it was all, it was just not me, us anyway. And I think that's really short-sighted uh, because that's not who he was and it's not who, who he ever claimed to be. It's ultimately just projection. Can I also say too that uh, I don't, I don't want to, like, like Vanessa said, I don't really want to psychoanalyze Bernie or pretend that I know what he's thinking in some special way, but I do have kind of a theory about this, which is that mm-hmm. in 2016, Bernie, I think like everyone, like me and the kind of everyone that was paying attention to 2016, took for granted that Clinton was going to win. And mm-hmm. I think in that context, he felt maybe a bit more comfortable being that kind of more insurgent and, and, and taking it all the way to the convention and kind of not dropping out and being a little bit, you know, that, that spoiler-esque uh, role. And he kind of, you know, he at the convention, he kind of made this big show of kind of not being happy. And I think he was like... He, he was doing all that in the context that like, well, Hillary's still going to win and I'm still, I'm just still trying to like drag out concessions. So when, when president Clinton's there, we're going to be able to maybe influence the platform or whatever. Um, and I think as unfair as the narrative is that Bernie cost Clinton the election or that, 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 you know, she lost because he damaged her for any of this stuff. I, I kind of suspect that maybe on a certain level, he does 
agree with that a little bit, maybe that he feels maybe a certain sense of responsibility for Trump winning, you know, and I don't agree with that. I don't think I do kind of suspect that he does take a certain amount of responsibility for that. And really this time did not want to in any way play that, that spoiler role, because that's, that's exactly why he in 2016 went through the democratic primary instead of doing the Nader thing, because he, for the exact reason that he didn't want to be the the Nader of 2016. And in, in the narrative, he kind of became that anyway, because the libs all kind of blamed him. And I don't think that's fair, but I think this time he was really like, no, okay, I'm not going to be that role this time. And there's no, there's nothing they can say about how I didn't unify or any of that, of that bullshit. Right. And I guess there's an argument that if the campaign, if Joe Biden's campaign is as sort of as in trouble as we, some of us on the left perceive it to be in terms of like low enthusiasm um sort of stuck to its centrist ways not willing to give a lot like if we if we think those things are true and that it could impact the outcome in november um i don't know there's a part of me that sees the logic in bernie coming aboard the bernie the biden train pretty aggressively with the thought being that maybe he can in actually influence this person and biden's platform and clearly bernie is bringing in some people um, and clearly Biden also seems to respect Bernie's opinion a little. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to like project too much, but yeah, it, I see like there are advantages to coming on board and then trying to move Biden as far as you can before convention, you know, like why would you, I guess, waste, um, any more time, but I'm curious, are you are you too convinced by the idea that if Bernie had been more uh, negative towards Biden, more willing to sort of attack early on, as I think is like the David Sirota perspective, that it would have actually improved his chances of getting the nomination? No, I don't. I don't think so. I, think I mean, I'm definitely of know, the opinion that that should have been the strategy, but I can't say for sure whether that would have moved the needle or not. I'm definitely in the kind of Sirota camp, and that's what he should have been doing much more. And um, you know, maybe that would have worked. But I think that that is one thing that the the polling showed throughout the whole year long of the campaign when Biden was leading. Um, Bernie was often like Biden. Biden voters' second choice was often Bernie. So I think the the goal should have been mm-hmm. to you know knock him off and then that Bernie kind of uh, clinches it from that. But um, yeah, that, like I said, that would have been the strategy if I was, if I was managing the campaign, but I, I'm not going to sit around mm-hmm. and say that that's what would have, would have flipped the, the result. I just don't, th- I don't know. I don't think that anyone would have been drawn to the campaign because of that. And I, I just think that like he, the way everything he did was so negatively portrayed in the media that would have been i mean even the way he handled the social security thing yeah uh, in the cnn debate when it was one-on-one it was just totally unfair because they're like well you wanted to change social security comparing (laughs) like an actual structural change to a cut like just any type of touching it whatsoever they just acted like it was the exact same thing so he was like the cards were already stacked against him 
And it was just like, it was so deeply unfair. And like, there's been a ton of commentary around that bullshit Chris Saliza column today. But like Bernie is right in saying the media was completely unfair to him. When he won, they compared it to the fall of France and rise of Nazi yeah. Germany. He, he was compared to the coronavirus. His, his supporters <laughs> were compared to brown shirts. I don't, I honestly, I just don't think, I wanted him to be more aggressive. But I really think if he was meaner, it would have just been like, it would have been a huge scandal in the press. And yeah. then or, remember when Julian yeah. Castro went negative on joe biden at the debates and he got like, yeah and it was like burnt, ooh, you know the golden yeah. child got burned yeah mm-hmm. so i i don't i don't know Bernie's yeah well that's that's that the anyway. that's the ultimate thing i think and we talked about this on this on the show last week also is that you can you can make points about what the strategy should have been or, or maybe they made a misstep here or there but like the reality is when there's this multi-billion dollar media apparatus just completely unified and trying to destroy you and making sure you don't win, it turns out it's like pretty hard to win. So <laughs> I think that's the, that's the kind of simplest explanation of, of what's happened here. And then, you know, and what I'm about to say, I hope won't be interpreted as me blaming voters. I think people are entitled to vote who they want to vote for, but I also feel like we often sort of kid ourselves in terms of how rational voters are. And I say this as someone whose parents are extremely irrational voters. <laughs> we just cannot talk about it. But um, like Joe Biden didn't do, Joe Biden spent like $40 in Oklahoma and he just like cleaned house <laughs> so at some point it's also like okay well I'm not trying to be a, nih a nihilist about this but like this man literally did nothing and yeah. people showed up for him in droves so well that's Jordan just mentioned that, know, like, that that he mentioned that Chris Kaliza uh, piece today and it's just like, well, uh, Sanders has a few points about the media uh, playing a role in his campaign. But really what that does is really diminish the historic comeback that the Biden campaign went on. It's like, he didn't fucking do anything. He didn't even yeah. campaign. He there wasn't was even no like playbook. on the ground in a lot of these states. He did nothing. So it's like, yeah. what, what company? He didn't even have to fucking do anything. It was well. the unification around Biden because he was the last best chance to beat Sanders. And we, as we've seen this week... Now, now the masks are off that Obama was behind the scenes, you know, pulling the strings and, and whipping everyone into shape. So it's it's just to act like this is some like brilliant uh, strategy from the Biden campaign is completely <laughs> a farcical. Yeah, that's true. And I I don't know. I go back and forth. Like on the one hand, one of the things I hated about the Hillary campaign is how they took no it just felt like they wouldn't take responsibility for anything after 2016. And so I like a little part of me is always resistant to like blaming the media or even, you know, Obama as some like wizard of Oz behind the scene character. On the other hand, if Obama had said to, if Obama had gotten on the phone with Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, um, you know, Cory Booker and was like, Hey man, like you're, you're polling really low it's time to drop out and if you're thinking about dropping out here's who's a good person to rally behind like if the person had been bernie you know like obama did have the choice to say yeah. the person you should endorse is bernie and instead the name on his tongue was joe biden um and like that's that's the choice that that obama is responsible for and you know, like that is a form of putting the thumb on the scale. Like people could have easily rallied behind Bernie, but after Nevada, it looked like it was kind of reaching a tipping point where it might happen, and then it kind of just crashed yeah. back. And that's like I saw a tweet today that really um, made me think. But it was like you know, <laughs> kind of, kind of like uh, 
you know, kind of just like hyperbolic, but and you know, performative in the way Twitter is. But the the person was pointing out it's like a bitter irony that Obama started as a political organizer, and he pretty much ends his career by just putting his finger on the scales to kill a huge grassroots movement. Yeah, and that's just like so just it just crushed me inside to think about. Yeah, and then I that's why I can't help but kind of recoil when I see him there uh, when he did his video endorsement saying uh, Bernie's ideas are so important and they've already succeeded in pushing but man it's like no, <laughs> not that is not true. Yeah. And that's that's what Obama was always about, right? Is he is, and this is what he's incredible at. He's incredible at exuding this idea that he is progressive and he believes in all this stuff, but without actually saying anything or committing to anything or acknowledging the fact that like that Biden the whole the whole purpose of his campaign was to ensure these big progressive reforms like Medicare for all these other things did not happen and now you're sitting there and saying like oh no you you won you basically succeeded in doing this and it's just like complete bullshit but people still people still believe it they're trying yeah. to placate the left <laughs> well that's that's the odd thing though isn't it because it's like uh, like you know <laughs> since Biden I guess won and and everyone's kind of dropped out and he's the guy now it seems like the libs aren't even happy. They're just browbeating everyone and they're kind of preemptively blaming the left for Biden losing. But it's odd because I mean it's it's his whole candidacy is really representative of this this idea of we're not going to move to the left too much. We're going to ensure that nothing so much nothing significantly changes. You know, he specifically said that. Um this is our whole strategy is appealing to conservatives and appealing to like Republican moderates in the suburbs. And like all these media cheerleaders are like these these Bush era neocons now, like Jennifer Rubin in the media. And like, um, you, you know, this is not a party that's orienting itself around the needs of like young people that got involved in this Bernie movement. So I don't know how they expect people to believe that like even if they start saying that they're going to fight for progressive things or they're mm -hmm. going to start doing this i don't know why anyone would ever believe that like the 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 actions that the party has taken overall the direction of it since trump was elected is completely in the other direction of that what would it take for our i mean clearly people under the age of 45 are in within the democratic party like there's just like a huge um like a huge line you know ideologically it seems yeah um and so how do we get the under 45s to like younger gen xers and the millennials and the zoomers to to come out and vote um in enough numbers like okay like one way we start outnumbering older people is going to happen pretty naturally in the next eight years as like life expectancy does what it does um yeah. but like before that like which i don't know it seems like there's something else like there's the fact that we're not showing up in numbers i don't i don't want to i don't believe that that's because we don't care like we're all crushed by student loans we have all sorts of debt our future is bleak we have lots of reason to turn out and we don't so i i don't know <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that seems like a pretty big hill i mean i don't what's the biden campaign doing on that front you know, they, 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 they consistently acknowledge that there's a problem. Like, we know we need to win over the progressive <laughs> left. But, like, they're offering, like, nothing. They're, they're <laughs> like, it's almost the Medicare insulting. Age to 60. Yeah, it's like they don't even try. It's just like they're going, they're like just uh, going through the motions, but not even, like, half-heartedly. It's just like they're barely even moving. And it's like, well, that's enough, right? Come on. Come on, They're guys. like, we're going to move the Medicare age uh, <laughs> eligibility. Five yeah. Years. To sixty. Thirty years from less now, than what Clinton was collect. offering. Yeah, right. It's less yeah, than what yeah. Clinton was offering in her campaign. Like it's literally they've moved yeah. backwards on that issue. 
Cool. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I whatever. Maybe here's an idea. So I, re- I personally, and I think I speak well. I think I speak for most people here. When Hillary made cool cultural references, that got yeah, me energized. That's right. Stuff. So Pokemon mm. go to the polls. What if popular polls. game right now, Call of Duty Warzone? Biden comes out and says, "Where are we dropping, boys?" The oh, yeah. polling location. <laughs> there we go. Yeah? Oh, nice. Oh yeah. That's working. I for want me. to hear Joe Biden reference Tom Nook. In, <laughs> in his next podcast episode. Yes. Visit well, this my is also something Kingdom. that that occurs to me as well, which is that we can talk about this until we're blue in the face, and and like you know, there's this idea of like, oh, do they do they need the youthful vote, or the, do they need to bring the Sanders movement on board or not? And really, I feel like what it comes down to, like what this election is going to come down to, is those like few hundred thousand people in the Rust Belt, the Obama to Trump voters, whether Biden can flip those people back. Uh, yeah. That's really who's going to decide this election. So like, we can talk about this till we're, you know, till for hours at a time. But ultimately, that's the question is, is whether those people are going to flip back to the Democratic Party and deliver those states in, in November. And that's the big question. I mean, Hillary couldn't do it. I don't know what their strategy is to do that this time. Biden also has a long history of being on the other end of trade deals and bad decisions that have fucked over a lot of those people. So that's really yeah. the question. I mean, um, and, the and, conventional and, wisdom in political science circles is that there's a pattern when when certain, you know, conditions are in place, you get you're much, much, much more likely to get certain electoral outcomes. And one of those conditions is the economy being really bad. Uh, and so when the economy is really bad, the party in power is um, much, much more likely to lose um, to their challenger. But Trump is a little yeah. bit of an outlier. And this is well, going he's to proved be all that conventional wisdom wrong election. always with all this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. And one thing that concerns me is the economy. I mean, the economy really is worse than it's been a, in a long time. We have no idea what it will look like at the end of summer of summer the other thing too is that like there's a certain timeline to those predictions and so it's more accurate the closer you get to the election right like the economy being bad one year out is less important than the economy being bad you know 12 weeks out yeah, yeah. but those checks people are gonna i think people Trump are gonna bucks. think yeah exactly and so I'm, i don't know i don't know how that will impact things um i don't know and that's kind of out of the democrats hands you know like him having ownership over um the kind of sort of the cash handouts that people will get uh and those cash handouts will go a long way in like yeah really economically depressed areas and so and those are the areas that the democrats need to win um but what's not out of their hands though is that they could be out there really fighting for more and saying this is not adequate and we need to do better but they're not doing that yeah yeah (laughs) which is probably not great (laughs) <laughs> I haven't I seen say. Joe Biden in like like I just haven't seen videos of him. Yeah. I have no he's, idea. He's done now. We need we need a proof of life video. We need Joe Biden <laughs> holding up today's yeah. newspaper. Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we we sometimes um, we talk about identity politics and the Democratic Party, you know, trying to break kind of artificially break these barriers, but you have to give it up though. It would be the America's first deep fake president, which is a historic milestone. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> representation matters deep deep fake representation matters so 
to go back to something I think Vanessa said, it was, that we're on this kind of electoral loop, especially when it comes to electoral strategy. I was thinking today, I saw that headline today about Joe Biden saying, yeah, probably not going to be able to reach Trump voters, which was largely his appeal in the primary and something people have talked <laughs> about for right. years. And it's like oh, God. that we're willing to immediately concede that as part of this this Biden coalition just spells disaster. And another thing, someone else, maybe Rob, you were saying um, there's going to be, you know, a lot of people blaming Bernie preemptively because they're they're. They want to just already get this out of the way. They're they're worried about Biden's chances, and so they're just going to start planting the seeds to blame it on Bernie. What you're going to see a lot of, and this is something, this is really weird, but there's a thing called there's a, a field of sports fan psychology that I just only know about because I know one of like the leading scholars in it because he worked at my university, and uh, there's a there's a a behavior of sports fans, and you could apply it to politics as well. Uh, called coughing and it's cutting off future failure and it's it's a type of behavior where say if i'm going into the brown steelers game i start making excuses uh like thursday or friday uh you know uh well you know we're missing our top wide receiver you know this person's been hurt lately not a running back's not been producing because you're just you you kind of expect to lose but you're already Get, you're hedging because you don't want to mm-hmm. be like burn on the back end. And we see this so much in politics and the way this manifests right now and lately is been blaming everything on Bernie. So we talked earlier about how, you know, the Hillary camp, Bernie felt bad because he he felt like a spoiler in 2016, but ultimately it was Hillary's fault. Nobody expected yeah, that. You know, course. Donald Trump didn't even expect to win. But Bernie like actually carries guilt from that, even though it wasn't even his fucking fault. Like mm-hmm. Hillary's campaign ran a shitty campaign, and, the th- yeah. and he, yes, he acted accordingly now. But like, it's because they're just do they're they're repeat to tie this all together. They're just doing the same things over and over again, and somehow expecting different results. Like they're just they're expecting suburban voters to show up. They're expecting to win over people that they would never otherwise win over, and it's just like they're changing nothing to appeal to their core voters and people who are becoming increasingly and increasingly disillusioned with the party and just somehow expecting to beat Trump on this Trump bad 2.0 platform. And the Democrats love to bring like for I'm going to fuck up this expression for dimensional chess. <laughs> Is that four dimensional yeah. chess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. true chess yeah. player over here. Um <laughs> they love to bring this up, but they won't actually they won't actually do the things. Like they only bring it up when it's time to figure out like what Robert Mueller is up to, um, (laughs) but never to figure out how to actually win elections. So (laughs) Hillary Clinton technically lost, but she got 3 million more votes than Donald Trump, right? And the reason she still lost is because the Electoral (laughs) College sucks. And also because you won't fucking make the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico actual real states. And it's like, I wish they could walk and chew gum at the same time. It's like you have to fight the gerrymandering um, but you also should make DC and Puerto Rico states and you should also be, you know, like trying to like fighting to get rid of the electoral college. Yeah. Yeah. Like this well, is how, I mean, this is how you win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even 
like even as they're running as the the Trump bad party and that's their whole that's their whole identity but yeah it was real the real 4D chess has been over the last 4 years completely enabling Trump at every way and rubber stamping a lot of his agenda and his judicial appointments and his mili- his massive military budgets because you see if we if we trick him by supporting all this stuff then when he says we're not supporting him he'll be we'll call him out as it being a hypocrite and then we'll get Lest those we forget. then everyone we're going to convince uh, is going to be convinced that we're the the smart guys and we belong in the within the captain's chair that's right the first two years of obama's presidency the first two years they had the senate they had the house yeah. they had the whole thing and even then they like were so like they were so desperate to look like the adults in the room and to look like they weren't doing a power grab that like they completely hobbled themselves and like declined to push for so like they literally could have made dc yeah. a state in like and lo and behold the republicans did, did still say that they were doing a power grab and they did still say that, that obama was like a, a leninist <laughs> right. revolutionary anyways regardless of how serious and and serious they took the proceedings what do you know mm-hmm. that's really my favorite out. example because i feel like when we complain about this shit on twitter you know, like the reasonable centrists look at us and they're like, you guys are just being very dramatic and you're exaggerating. And it's like, no, I don't know. There's a real window we can point to where, you know, nothing real happened and could have. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because you complain and they say, well, that just helps the Republicans to when you complain like that. But then when they win power, their whole strategy is working with Republicans and like advancing Republicans legislation to seem like something is, is happening. And it's like, though you can't, I don't know how you hold those two thoughts in your mind at the same time. Yeah. So Vanessa, what, what's next? What, what should we expect? <laughs> it's a big question. I'm sorry. And there's so many variables, especially right now. Uh, but what, what do you see kind of like the, just say everything remains constant from today on. What do you see kind of the general election like shaping up like, like, what do you, what, what are some? Oh, do, you, do you do you expect the Ukraine story to make a, a comeback? Do you expect the terror? Oh, is that going to make a comeback? <laughs> <laughs> I'm upset. I would uh... like to hear. I, I I would assume we're all on the same page there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't want to make the episode depressing. I think that we are going to have one of the most illegitimate elections in our lifetime. Um, like uh, unless the country is open again but it's probably not going to be we had like lots of places around the country where it's very difficult or impossible to vote by mail every time i bring up (laughs) every time i bring up like should we figure out a way to like vote online (laughs) like the data security people just like i'll scream at me at the same time i guess the answer is no but i'm just i i feel like we're gonna have like four percent turnout and it's just I like whoever wins I just don't see how it can be legitimate because so many people are just not going to be able to participate um and yes I 100% believe the Democrats will try to they'll figure out a way to blame Bernie and Russia maybe we'll get both yeah um oh and China too I'm sure they'll sneak that in there as well and China and China (laughs) Um, the, I haven't but been both watching parties are going to be are going to be blaming China regardless <laughs> wa- of what happens. Actually, <laughs> I haven't been watching races as closely as I as I should. It would be great if the Democrats could take back the Senate, or even by one, or come really, really close. That would make a huge difference because one concern is that like 
a second term of Trump, like he's got nothing to lose. He can just sort of unleash, you know, so we could, we feel like we have a sense of what it's like to, we have a sense of how his mind works, but who fucking knows? Like it could, the next four years could be so much worse. Um, And at least if the Senate was, wasn't completely your, his, um, you know, we could literally save some lives. Um, I don't know. And it's time to look towards like fresh blood. I'm a huge fan of Abdul El-Sayed. Abdul yeah. El-Sayed is my hope. He is my, yes. Um, we have lots of young, energetic, incredibly smart leftists um, who have ways to make themselves, you know, kind of like AOC have, you know, are sort of palatable to centrists. And we need to get, we need to like, support these people and move them up you know and get behind them totally. so i'm trying to look past november is what i'm saying yeah that's yeah. another thing i think it's easy to be and I, I totally understandable to be upset right now and to be downtrodden and to even be upset with like you know what how the how bernie so quickly got behind biden i'm not saying i i agree with the the, the frustration but i i kind of i understand why they feel that way but yeah, like you just said, well, it definitely it sucks. So, regardless of oh, how you rationalize it, it really sucks. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like Vanessa's point is is a, is a strong one that like you have to look long term, and it's so easy to just focus on the now. Um, but you know, there could be there. I think well, I think there is an argument for Bernie um, getting behind Biden for a long term strategy uh, because you know. This is just the start. The election is just the start. You also then need to get the Senate. You then need to introduce legislation. I do think that Biden is not going to be as an effective uh, barnstormer in chief that Bernie wanted to be uh, to get things passed. I do fear that he would shut down progressive policy or not even like encourage it. I mean, he explicitly said he would veto Medicare for all if it somehow got passed. Um, Those are things that are deeply concerning. But I think, yeah, long term strategy, uh, politics, it's not it just change doesn't happen overnight, right? Uh, and so I think that like we have to start building up the bench of progressives and leftists um, like more AOCs, like more um, Abdul Al-Sayeds and people like that, like more Ilhan Omars. We need like 100 Ilhan Omars in Congress. Uh, yeah. This is just this is just the starting point. I, I think my stance on this is that I, I would I would really never browbeat or or shame anyone for just looking at the Democratic Party and just being like this party obviously doesn't represent me like they're literally working contrary to what my interests are i don't want to support them i don't mm. want to keep perpetuating this like i, I just can't i can't like vote That's continue totally supporting rational. this yeah i could yep. i completely understand that um i guess i guess this could possibly get me canceled at like the the online leftist shit poster uh, club probably if i lived in a, if i lived in the u.s and in the first place and i lived in a swing state i would probably still I, like you can hold the idea in your mind at the same time that the Democratic Party leadership is very bad and needs to be like supplanted and just dis- and dismantled and it needs to be completely kind of rebuilt while still kind of saying I'm going to do the, the the harm reduction thing, the harm reduction argument. Mm-hmm. I do think to, mm-hmm. I do, like to your point, Vanessa, I do think maybe there's a chance that we've kind of normalized how bad Trump is and that even though the Democratic Party on a lot of these levels is not much better you still can make the argument that like we're there's still a better position for for like growth of leftist social movements over the next four years and and maybe protecting a few, a few like marginalized folks and maybe uh, defending a few of these these rights that are still remaining 
in the process. Uh, but again, it's it's t- I, like I said, I would never I would never shame anyone for just being like I'm not going to support this party anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, and, but also like even okay, so swing state totally get it. Even if you're not, I understand leaving like the top blank, but like. Dude, your state legislature still matters. And that's where they're writing mm-hmm. all of these bullshit uh, worker protection laws or lack thereof, uh, you know, making it like a, an at-will employment state, making it legal to fire uh, trans people or making it illegal to fire people who because of their sexuality or sexual preference. Uh, this is where, you know, this kind of evil fascist bullshit gets codified without the national scrutiny. Because the Republicans have a lock on so many state legislatures. So even for down-ballot races to fight back against that shit. Otherwise, ALEC is writing all of your bills. Like, this, this, you have, yeah. I mean, the state and local thing, it gets trotted out all politics is local, but no one ever wants to do it. Like, you have to fucking pay attention. Like, I think there's an argument to be made for that. So, you know, working, the working class in your state gets paid more. Yeah. Yeah. That's just my, my, my uninformed opinion my that jordan's and, mic drop epic okay, mic drop I will, moment i'll say one thing I, am i allowed to mention chapo on this podcast yeah sure, is that we've permitted never, <laughs> sure, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay the chapo boys get what <laughs> uh the chapo boys do get a lot of shit for um being very vocal on twitter about you know sort of who they're not willing to vote for and and it's true that they have enormous platforms taken together I have to say, though, I do derive a little pleasure seeing uh, blue check Democrats sort of shake in their boots, right? Like be be, <laughs> yeah. be very concerned that the Chapel platform is so large that they could actually um, uh, influence people into not showing up. I don't know whether that's true or not. I mean, I sort of feel like people are going to do what they're going to do and also like don't take your cues from a comedy podcast like what the hell is wrong with you but yeah um but also fuck it like yeah, yeah you should be afraid that our generation isn't going to show up like i'll probably well, show leverage up because that, I care that our generation about has who is my you know representative in ward four in the district of columbia but mm-hmm. like i want you to be afraid that i won't show up and yep. to give up to give something up a little uh, and so I do think to that extent, like they are actually yeah. playing a very important role. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, even the whole, and, like and the whole, like, like bend the knee argument, people got so upset and offended and, and <laughs> about that idea of just like, and no, that's why it's always like, this, us, like but, mods, mods, like, let me talk to your manager yeah. bullshit. But I mean, that's the deal. That's the offer that that liberals have been making to the left wing for generations. It's like, no, we are not compromising. You're coming to us. We're doing things our way and get on board. And I don't. Yeah, it's like what? Well, yeah. When that is flipped around and that question is being uh, it, <laughs> when that gets flipped around and that that's the offer that's being offered you. It doesn't they don't like it so much. And that's why people freaked out so much about it. Yeah. OK. Did I come through there? Or did I break up? I know we could hear you. I heard that about loud and clear. Okay. (laughs) Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I see. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice. It's quaint. It's lovely. (laughs) Unbelievable. We're a cultured podcast. We've got foreign accent. We've got foreign accent, Rob. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be raising this issue of anti-Canadian discrimination to our uh, HR department. (laughs) So you will be hearing from, from Judy. In HR, Vanessa. <laughs> I'm a sovereign citizen. I can be. I can be prejudiced against Canadians. That's in my contract. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's okay. I'm prejudiced <laughs> no. against Canadians too, so it's all right. It's I not get a big it. Deal. <laughs> not a real country. Think, no, completely fake country. Vanessa, Vanessa's point, I think, <laughs> is a good one because it also highlights or underscores whatever you wanted to do uh, the the way the the way Democrats see power and also its relationship with the media, and they've just typically relied on CNN and MSNBC and legacy institutions and media to be the gatekeepers for what's acceptable in politics, and especially within democratic, liberal, and even centrist politics. And they often point to that uh, uh, to kind of control the narrative and also to be back progressives and relied on it when it's convenient because those institutions typically are in the center or center left. Um, the rise of shows like Chapo and so many other, and the proliferation of so many other uh, progressive and leftist independent media outlets who are willing to go on the record and criticize the Democratic Party does have them scared because this is about power and control and people are finally hearing messages that they can understand and relate to. And and that kind of representation in media and, and a, uh, for working class people, for marginalized groups, for frontline communities isn't something they often see on MSNBC or mm -hmm. CNN outside of the, you know, the one-off human interest uh dramatized puff piece this isn't like front and center every single yeah. night like it is on in progressive and leftist it is, media it is so unfathomable to them that people could have huge platforms and yet be utterly uninterested in like positions yeah. within their hierarchy and you can mm -hmm. see it in the way they threaten the chapel bows the boys but you can mm -hmm. also see it in the way they threaten like brianna joy gray oh, all yeah. the time where yeah. they're like we'll remember this she You'll doesn't care. Town again. Yeah, she yeah. clearly exactly. does not care. She's, wait, you, you're, she's at Current Affairs now, right? Yeah, she's back, baby. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Well, that's uh, the thing, because yeah, I'm, no no, I'm no longer a Bernie bro. I'm hanging up my Bernie bro boots, and I'm now a Brie bro. So that's my new, <laughs> that's my oh, new thing. Sign me up. We stand. The, yeah, way, the way she's been treated the past couple of weeks really Disgusting. shows just how how much fucking bullshit all the Bernie yep. bros are toxic narrative. It, it just exposes the entire charade. Complete bullshit. Because they yep. did it. CNN had a fucking investigative reporter do a story about snake emojis. And <laughs> oh, Brie is having her face photoshopped on a yep. McDonald's employee. And it's just like no one, no one fucking cares. The way she's been treated has been disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, I mean, we talked about the role that, the media played in delivering this this primary election to Biden, and that's another thing about the kind of the burgeoning leftist infrastructure, media infrastructure that we're building here. Whether you talk about Chapo or you talk about current affairs or what we're doing here, obviously there's a three pretty much roughly the same size things that I'm just com comparing right now. Obviously, obviously, like this this primary was These kind of the, the test. It's kind of the test of whether like we could really collectively compete with that massive media machine and obviously we got fucking owned uh, pretty pretty badly but that that is part of that is part yet, of the goal ready. of the next of the next 4 years and beyond is continuing to build that structure because we're obviously no one on the leftist is going to be able to take power as long as this media machine is is completely op opposed to them so that's part of what the goal is too is just continuing yeah. to build these these bigger institutions until we can until we can counteract that yeah absolutely well, well, Vanessa, I guess we should wrap it up. Should, but thanks so yeah. much for joining the program today. It was great to talk to you about all this stuff. Oh, it was so nice talking to you in real life, too. Yeah. <laughs> Vanessa, where can people find your work? Oh, uh, you can find my work at currentaffairs.org. 
uh, we're a lovely magazine. Subscribe. Um, yes, please do. And you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at, um, at Vanessa AB um, and in other publications in the very, new, very uh, near future. Cool. Oh. Is it like <laughs> foreshadowing? Or? Foreshadowing. I have a cute little article coming out in the New Republic next week. Ooh, I'm on the cover nice. of in these times uh for the april month with a piece nice. on socialism and uh yeah that's what i got Very going cool. on that's awesome <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for it yeah thank you well thanks again for joining us and we will we'll talk to you later see you on the in the menchies <laughs> bye thank you for listening to the insurgents please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, and please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful, and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.